welcome back to Almost Famous Minute, where we're discussing the 2000 Cameron Crowe film Almost Famous, one minute at a time. I'm Eric Nash from Watchmen Minute. I'm Aaron Stark, uh, TED Talk speaker, iconoclast, and overall fun fun guy. <laughs> and I'm Courtney Colson of Too Many Podcasts, Prometheus by Minute, Covenant Minute, Legacy Minute, 60 Seconds to Comply, goddamn. <laughs> And and I uh, I joined you on uh, Prometheus Minute near near the end there with the with the engineer I just yeah couldn't help myself asking for <laughs> some engineer minutes and there's not that many yeah I yeah. might have to bring back football in Covenant yeah a little the Covenant one engineer scene yeah that would that would be a a crazy minute to be part of <laughs> oh lordy it's my favorite <laughs> um. Yeah, and I should actually have it uh, borrowed from the library right now, right, ready to give it a, a, a like fourth watch, probably, I think. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so I thank you both for uh, coming on. Uh, Courtney, this is your first time on, uh, and Aaron is our, our very uh, perennial, uh, what have you, uh, co-host. Um, and uh, one other uh, little uh, uh, side bit here. Uh, I am uh, recording with uh, this uh, new uh, Harmon... Uh, audio supplied AKG Lyra microphone and headset, a uh, little podcasting kind of package that they've given out to a lot of us on our network, uh, Pantheon Podcasts. Um, so hopefully uh, there's some uh, good audio that you are hearing, uh, at least uh, from my end. But uh, sound pretty good, guys. Too. Hopefully, hopefully it sounds pretty good. Yeah. I feel like because this is a uh, is, is all about classic rock, you know, I have to like be up in the yeah. microphone like this doing real, the real real audio file here, you know. <laughs> easy listening, it's easy one oh five. I love Carl Gass's appearance in this. Yeah, well, and, that, and that's the that's a that's a deleted scene though too, you know. And I, I for the for the couple of guests I had on for the minute where that occurred, even though that's like a two or three minute long segment, it happens within one minute from one scene to the next where it cuts mm. in. Uh, where it was deleted from um uh i, I you know for those minutes or, or those deleted scenes where it's like kind of that interesting i think as that is and like the stairway scene i have to give uh, my guests a little heads up uh and, and give them like you know what what almost always is there almost always is a youtube link uh someone has posted that um but i i, I haven't uh i have a blu-ray of the director's cut and i i'm not too keen on how to get <laughs> um you know the, the the divided up you know segmented and you know individual video clips of of uh, a lot of those scenes mm. uh, so i haven't done it for every deleted scene and or and i mean there's plenty of little deleted things that are just like a second long or something just a little extra hold on a hold on a scene or something so there's no way i'm going to do that for every and the crazy thing with these couple minutes we have you both on at least for um, there are no deleted clips from either of these coming up here. Um, there were plenty of these last uh, three or four minutes or so, um, though. But um, uh, so I haven't even said this is minute 82 today. This might be the longest I've gone without mentioning that uh, into a minute. Hmm. Um, and it starts with William playing coy with Penny and ends with yelling at Penny about being sweet. <laughs> I am not sweet. I am the enemy. <laughs> <laughs> It's actually one of my favorite scenes in the movie, I have to say, this conversation here. Yeah, yeah, and it just barely started last minute, you know, just like the, I don't know, last 20 seconds of, of the previous minute, and but we really get the, the, the 
just you know cut off right almost at the right time <laughs> at the end of next minute. I think what I really love about this movie, and it's demonstrated in this scene particularly, is that a lot of these, uh, I think the German term is Bildungsroman, which is the coming of age uh, trope, is you generally have this character who comes from a broken home, doesn't want to conform to society, wants to just rebel and, and quote-unquote join the circus, is the trope but in this case will is mature he's sensible he has you know he wanted to get back for his graduation he has an idea of what kind of career he wants so i think that's really great because you've got this counterpoint for these bohemian rock stars especially in this minute here where he goes well what is the real world to you where does that exist and I think well, if you had that... a character who was just like, oh, sorry, I was just gonna, if you have a character who's just, you know, the typical teenager, oh, screw the rules, screw society, I'll do what I want. You don't have that conflict. Yeah, that, that, I, I completely agree also. That, that, um, that one bit where, <clears throat> it, to me, this is the, the, bit, the scene where he kind of punctures the veil of the whole movie. He's kind of seen the facade that all these rock stars are going through and they, they, they it's, the, at first it looks like they're all really these massive superheroes and they're doing all these amazing things. And the more he spends time with them, the more it looks like they, everybody has flaws and everybody yeah. is, is really deeply screwed up inside. And, but at the same time, they're all pretending that they're in this just fantastic fantasy world. And most of all Penny and she's done the, it, it's hit a couple times at the last minute I, was here for i believe it, we were talking about the uh, deflowering scene yeah and that one is another one of those moments where it kind of breaks the facade of what what is real and what's not and i yeah. think that's one of william's key dynamics the whole film is is writing that line of they keep on saying this isn't the real world and he has his mom at home the whole time who's a definite reminder yeah. of what the real world really is mm -hmm. And yeah, so that I, I completely agree. I love Frances McDormand. By yeah, the oh way. yeah, she's, she's just... yeah. I mean, and she was like the biggest star at the time to be yeah. in this. You know, everyone else, and rightfully just... so. Fargo yeah. is amazing. Oh yeah, yes. coming off of that just two or three years earlier at the most. Um, but um, uh, would either or both of you say that what you what you were just saying, Aaron, that that Penny is uh, definitely. A, a huge, I think, a huge part of this, you know, you know, uh, 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 what what uh, fiction, so to speak. Yeah, fic uh, I mean, but but that and that's kind of her job, almost. I mean, that that that's what that's what that thing is. Her being the muse, I've been saying a lot lately, especially it feels like um, that that she's providing the service for Russell um, to to you know allow him to 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 do what he needs to do to be a better musician and performer and so forth. That's actually a really apt description. I was just listening to, to think on the small tangent here on the muse part. Um, I, I'm listening to this audiobook, this brand new audiobook of the Sandman graphic novel. And oh, one yeah. of the chapters in it is the muse Calliope, who is um, taken and used as a source for stories by an author and kept for for decades and decades by this by this family that's just 
keeping her in prison so they can always get stories from her. And it seems that kind of Penny is filling that kind of darker muse role of, of providing the stories for Russell and the band and giving them a, a fan club for lack of a better term. And that, but at the same time, it's, it's constantly degrading to her. Like it's, Mm. she's been, Mm. she's been degraded the entire film on a personal level by just putting herself out and objectifying herself on purpose just to, because that's what she thinks the band wants. Yeah. I think there's a lot of watching it for the second time. Uh, oh, so I should mention this, this movie just hit all these personal points for me, but yeah, I am a female to male to female detransitioner. And I've been just thinking a lot about what it means to be a woman and especially from a social perspective and watching Penny's story, I kind of feel like, yeah, there's a lot of elements where I am, it's performative. I'm giving, especially men, Mm -hmm. what I think they want and not, I mean, now as an adult uh, and having all this experience, I can stand back and stand up for myself. Whereas I think before I was just going along with it because I got instant approval and gratification. Yeah. And I think we see that on the ground right here in this scene with and I mean, we're going to jump ahead a little bit from the script. Oh, yeah. I know we're talking about the, the two the minutes here, but Penny, in, it, when it gets to the more emotional side of it, once William confronts her with the emotion, she has a moment when it's silent and her that facade kind of breaks and she goes back to being an actual person for just a second and then she has to immediately flip her hair, put on a smile and go back to being Penny Lane Yeah, and throw out a little quip. And it's what kind of view? I do love that line. What kind of view was it? <laughs> um, yeah, I, th- I think that the the quest for identity is kind of central to the whole theme of the movie. The mm. the the William is searching for his identity, but he's deceiving both Rolling Rolling Stone and himself. He's lied about how old he is to get on the magazine. He's pretending to be some big reporter with the band when he's really scrambling with all these post-it notes in his bathroom. And then Penny Lane's de- is is pretending to be a a, a rock star's girlfriend when in reality she's just a groupie and she doesn't want to ever face the reality of being that groupie and the rock stars are pretending to be rock stars but in reality they're kind of failing and breaking apart when they're pretending that they're some cohesive unit and mm. I think that at the base of it that that search for identity and that search for who mm. what is real is kind of a key theme to the whole film I think you find that a lot in every counterculture, um, even, well, yeah, I can speak to, there's the queer community, there is any fandom, it's just, there's something about that found family, you know, mm-hmm. that you you found this community away from your ordinary community, and there's something seductive and exciting about that, but without that foundation, I think... It, it's very hard to have a functional life. Yeah. Well, and, and I know from, uh, I, I deal with a lot of depression outreach and, and mental health outreach and people who are trying to find their way out of a dark spot. And when the, that same kind of, in a similar way that Penny's finding her, her belonging in the group of, of groupies and, and going around the, with the tour, that same sense of belonging can be found in really dark areas with that same accompanying fiction that it's not actually real and the only way to overcome that and to get out of that that 
uh, dark area is to actually face the reality of what is real and, and let go of those fictions and let go yeah. of the the facade that's been covering you the entire time. I've definitely been in that situation where you, you fall in with this cool group and you're like, oh yeah, these people are the best and we're doing all this cool stuff together and this is my new family. But then when shit hits the fan, you realize, oh yeah, no one's got my back. Oh, oh mm-hmm. no. And wow. yeah, Penny definitely goes through that several times through this movie, <laughs> I would argue. Well, well, I think one of those almost is uh, what uh, William is, is yelling and she says, why are you at me? He then says, I thought we were going to Morocco. There is no Morocco. There's never mm-hmm. been a Morocco. Well, actually, yeah, there has been. There has been. Well, I mean... There truly is a physical, <laughs> real Morocco, but... I don't know. I've never been there, so I don't think so. <laughs> he's, he's a, he's a, I have eaten the food, so I assume <laughs> that either, either the, the cooking is fantastic yet fictional, or it's a real place. But well, I mean, they... some people believe Australia doesn't exist, so... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah we, we, don't, we don't like to talk to those people. Australia is a fantastic place. I would love to go it there. It is. Hell yeah, please do. It it definitely was a uh, was a place I would I really wanted to go like when I was in like middle school say roughly you know I had hmm. I had sights set on it but eh, I've I've scaled it back to maybe just uh, like Ireland England England and Ireland one day boring yeah. <laughs> It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Penny is facing that that with when again we're jumping around the script, so apologize to the oh, listeners, no. but the um the when he touches on that he sold her for a case of beer, like you, he, he, Russell's relationship with you isn't is that fiction isn't real. You need to, the the fiction of this isn't what you think it is. And when when he does that, and she has to have that bit of realization, both, and that, there's a bit of a silent moment that I talked about earlier, and in that moment, both she kind of has that revelation that, oh my God, I, I'm, I'm not what I thought I was. But then he has a, a, a kind of a similar one that I just pulled back the veil on someone who kind of wasn't ready for that yet. Mm. And so it, it's... It's a it's a delicate dance with them. And I, I it's it, to me it's a, some of the best acting in the movie from from Kate Hudson in particular. Yeah, I think that little bit of crying and, and looking off into space is some of the best voiceless acting she does in the film. What happened to her? She was in so many movies in the mid two thousands, and she's, then she's doing great. She's actually um she got married to uh, first it was the singer to the Black Crows. Oh yeah, like yeah, true. They got married and had a bunch of kids, had a couple kids, and then they got divorced and she got married to someone else, and now she runs some company like she got out of doing acting and runs some company runs a big nonprofit. Ah, and she does she does have a podcast with oh. with her brother <laughs> and it's oh, right on. It, and it's apparently what they what they do is they they then talk to other siblings. Oh cool. I love yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know that I know that she does a lot of donations and stuff for like um, um, youth outreach and stuff yeah. like that to 
but like yeah, boys and girls clubs, things like that. It reminds me of uh, Jessica Albrooks. I think she went on to do just more entrepreneurial, uh, that kind of that sort of stuff. Um, but Jessica yeah. Alba, Jessica Alba, she 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 kind of did, but then she almost hit Jenna McCarthy weirdness. Like, oh no, yeah, Jessica Alba straddling that line of okay, you're <laughs> you're okay, but don't go a little further. <laughs> yeah. Stay right there. Don't go any further. Yeah, yeah, please. Please don't. We, we, we like you still. Just please don't walk out anymore. Yeah. Because <laughs> Jenna McCarthy's a little, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. No. I don't, I don't want to buy a perfume of your genitalia, nor do I want to have you mm. tell me about your um, anti-vax conspiracies. Woo! Oh, and there's a lot of those these days. <laughs> Passed on both of those, thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, oh, I was going to say before about, uh, you know, Will's having this very stable family life is um, with his mother, so many stories like this, again, want to make it seem like, oh, the parents are terrible and mm-hmm. they're just the villains and there's no yeah. reasoning with these people. But she reminds me so much of my own mother, where she's terrifying, but also she's right. She's always so goddamn right. She is. She's always so right. And she is definitely not the villain of the movie. She's actually almost the hero. Yeah. Like, yeah. She's, she's kind of the, the North Pole. That even uh, uh, my, One of my favorite bits is when Russell gets on the phone with her and he just shuts her down and he hands the phone back like, oh, your mom is something else. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh man, that is that's my mom. That is. Um, yeah. But I love the fact that she has enough faith in her son to go. Okay, I know you really want to do this. I'm going to let you make these independent decisions for yourself. But I just need you to call me and and do all those sorts of things. So she gives him a fair amount of responsibility and freedom. Amazingly, for a 15 year old, I don't think I was even allowed to take a bus by myself at that age well and i think that accounts for a lot of his maturity and he's really kind of stepped up and owned it like over the course of the film he went from being kind of an immature and and even faking his voice on phone calls with his manager to now at the, near the end he's just fully asserting it he's like no this is what i got and this is this is what i'm doing and this is and and as again to get back on that subject of, of identity, as the movie goes, the reality grows. Like reality creeps in over the fantasy, and, and you get more shot, more time at home, and you end up back at William's house instead of out on the road. You end up like actually talking with Rolling Stone managers and, and, and uh, editors instead of just faking the voice over the phone. And uh, it you you slowly get to a point where the real world and the fictional world have kind of finally melded and mm. you reach an equilibrium and to get back into the scene that we're in. I think this yeah. is kind of one of the pivotal, pivotal scenes where it shifts towards that line. Yeah. It's so hard to focus on just these minutes because, oh, and then this is really good, and this is really good. So, you know, like the ending, you're making me think, yeah, actually, that's a really, it's the most perfect resolution because it's the fantasy and the reality merging. So it's just mm, everything's so perfectly balanced. Right. And, and yeah, you, you guys are right. That, that does happen, you know, because I, I was talking about Morocco, uh, and, and, and that does, we do get a resolution of that. Um, it does, uh, yeah, and that's, yeah. So so I, I was I was going to point out that I, I had to, 
do the quick uh, search here in my Google Doc, the way I'm keeping this uh, so far. Um, I can't go forward, really, uh, in this in this doc, at least. <laughs> uh, but I can always go back. Um, and uh, minute 31 is when we had the, uh, you know, her saying, I've made a decision, I'm going to live in Morocco for one year. So mm-hmm. that's, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and her inviting him, um, crazily, at that very first meeting, <laughs> you know, or the, at the end and of the night of that first meeting. To go back to that scene where she's talking about that Morocco and the, and the fantasy life, yeah. she does the, the thing where she kind of waves her hands over his eyes yep. to like, like, uh, like you're going into a flashback or like, like a kind of, kind of thing over the eyes. And that again, the pulling the wool over your eyes and fall, fall into the fantasy, come, come join, jump on the ride. Um, and then there's also where he, where he says there's not even a penny lane. I don't even know your real name. And that's going to come about in no 20, 30 minutes, maybe. <laughs> I, all these characters so beautifully realize, you know, in this conversation, especially I just go, yeah, who is Penny Lane before she became Penny Lane? I'd love to know. I feel like you could write a story about that. Yeah. I, and, and I, I think that William probably would write, write a story about that. I wonder if there's fan fiction out there for this. For these, has any to these be. Characters. Oh, I'm sure there is. I think, okay. in a way, we, I've never really looked are... up much fan fiction, so this there's, might be a there's first. There's fan fiction. There's fan fiction <laughs> yeah. that has a giant romantic relationship between Professor X and Magneto. I'm yeah. sure there's fan fiction. But uh, if you want uh, sexy monopoly with Car, the evil Car from Knight Rider, oh, oh. I I found that the other day, and it's so great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the fanfic world is deep and wide. <laughs> <laughs> now I've got to look up Almost Famous on uh, AO3. But I feel like, in a way, we are all Penny Lane, especially in the Movies by Minute community, that we are this kind of number one fan mm-hmm. for our chosen film. And I know their level of investment. And I've, I spent three years reviewing Prometheus and just... The community that attracted around me, I made all these friends in the Movies by Minute and also in the Alien fandom, and it's just, in a way, it was almost the same thing virtually. It was, Mm -hmm. oh, I've got this cool fantasy life and I'm a bit of a celebrity in these communities, and then you sort of have to wake up and go, oh yeah, but also there's a real life and uh, you've got to get a normal job and have normal responsibilities and stuff. You don't don't have to get a normal job. (laughs) That really touches at the core of it, that that we all kind of... Great. And and what I I find this in what I do with in my other life um, that what we all crave that sense of belonging that yes. what we all really want at the end of the day is for someone to hold us and tell us that we're okay and we want we if as long as that person doesn't include you're going to be okay as long as that other person pays for it then you're, we're going to end up in a good spot and I think that these these people here that's all they want is they just want to be told you're yes you're good. Penny Lane wants to be the best groupie. She wants to be the best. She wants to, she likes, she loves, she fell in love with Russell when she wants to be there for him. But I think that she also just wants to be a cool person with her friends. And William wants to be a writer and, and they all want to be all these, they have all these goals, but none of them think that they are real. And then slowly realize that they actually were the whole time. And mm-hmm. I think that I think that as Penny in particular grows along this this movie and in this scene, it, it, it kind of almost comes to a climax. She 
kind of takes ownership of the Penny Lane identity. And, and while, yeah, she's being used by Russell and, and she it's was literally sold for a case of beer that she still can find humor in it and she can still laugh at it. And it's still part of her persona. Right. Am I hearing freaking yes. Iron that... Man forging some armor there? What is? <laughs> I have a grandfather clock in my living room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It is on the hour right now. Um, uh... Uh, by the way, guys. By the way, archive of our own does have uh, some almost famous over these seventeen almost famous fanfics. Oh, okay. uh, we've got some uh, Sapphire William Miller. Uh, oh. We've got some Penny Lane Brian May. Uh... Oh yeah. <laughs> Wow! Okay. So we're so we're getting some uh, real people mixed in as well. <laughs> wow! Yeah, That's... fascinating. What does Brian May have to say about that? <laughs> Who's Lux Lisbon? I, I I don't think you want to go down that line. <laughs> that that sounds like a porn star name. <laughs> well, 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 continuing speaking about names. Um, so William said, uh, "I don't even know your real name." So that 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 even though that's not a I mean, it's kind of, he's kind of wanting a response along maybe what her real name is, I think. But, I mean, it's not truly a question. But her next, what she then says in in reply to that, if I ever met a man in the real world who looked at me the mm-hmm. way who just looked at me. And that reminded me, while, while there's certainly things that we've already been talking about a little bit about that real world and so forth and what he, he replies. But um, uh, it reminded me of the bathroom scene just prior to the deflowering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, she, and she's, I... she's sitting there, and he's in the bathtub, or he's gotten out of the bathtub, actually by that point. And so he's saying, "Well, I would be worried that they were using me." She says, "Boy, if this was the real world." Mm-hmm. So, and, and and he cuts her off. Not that anybody's using you. I always took that line that she says right there that he might have been looking at her not in anger, but like he loved her. Yeah. Right. Like. Yeah. Like there was a lot of deep emotion in that look, and that's I I, I always took it that way, and I I can I always I thought that was a perfect parallel of those two scenes. Yeah, I thought that those that was a, a, a on purpose um, mirroring, because that that uh, there's definitely the, the, especially the looks that that's the same time the, those two times <clears throat> in the bathroom shot you get a nice shot of Penny Lane staring at William, and they have that same kind of eye-to-eye connection mm-hmm. yep um yeah and so that's what that's he, he replies back when and where does this real world occur <laughs> he's confused <laughs> all these rules and all these sayings and nicknames i was just thinking about how common that is in every subculture and that we we form language language is such a powerful thing and it just kind of changes the way we think about things so using this film as as a specific example is just yeah the way the groupies are treated and stuff like that where the language around it just makes it seem like oh this is normal this is life we're just gonna Mm -hmm. like deflower you and all of this just like oh okay we're doing this now and william that that all makes william very angry and i think that that william felt really i think william feels more betrayed by russell's actions with selling penny than penny did Mm. and and he is is just upset about the fact that Penny's not upset. Like I think he's just mad about this and hurt about the whole thing. And 
I, I think that that's, again, William's reality and his normalcy kind of crashing in saying, hey, no, th- why are you even pretending to do this fiction anymore? What is going on here? You're obviously damaging yourself. None of this is real. You know this isn't real. Just be real for a second. And I think that when he says that that line about the name, I think he really is asking. I think that's a, a, a try. Like, hey, can you, who are you? What's, what's your name? Yeah. You know what? This is so... Everything in this movie is so against the, the tropes and the, the stereotypes. And I think Penny could be a manic pixie dream girl you know this magical girl who comes into this boy's world and shows him this this other reality and all of that but i think this is the moment that you never get in any other movie with a manic pixie dream girl where the boy actually goes wake up there's a reality out there there is a responsibility you're being mistreated all of that sort of stuff you never get that in in say i don't know breakfast at tiffany's or scott pilgrim and in a way I think it kind of flips the manic pixie dream girl on its head, that trope on its head, almost in a reverse. Because mm. if you look at it, William is kind of giving Penny what she has always craved in a sense oh, of yeah. normal, loving, caring family. Manic pixie meme boy. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's normal, the title. <laughs> nor- normal <laughs> yes. boring meme boy instead of manic yeah. pixie dream girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so he's, she's the one that, that's constantly out craving for something, and she's not sure what she wants. And she encounters this normal kid who's able to pull her out of this damaging fiction and give her, let her be like, yes, this is my real name. Yeah, this is what's really happening. I, we're going to move on now. And I also like and, that this remains pretty chaste. It's not, yeah. She's not taking advantage of him. I think they almost yeah. feel quite equal. There's almost yeah. a point or two where it's almost like she's ready to maybe kiss him or something. Or I mean, mm. she, she like barely touches his shoulder at one point, I think. <laughs> yeah, and, but I think that power dynamic is is very equal among actually among the three. I think that as it goes, mm. that power dynamic between Russell, Penny, and William kind of normalizes. Yeah, and 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 William really asserts his power dynamic over Russell in a couple different uh, altercations where. He just flat out says, no, you're full of shit. None of this is real. And I think having that, again, the, the pulling down of the fiction and the establishing of the normality and the, the overbearance of the real world, so to speak, I think is a important feature of the film. We don't get a lot of child prodigies outside of genre movies where, you know, you need to age the kid. Like comic books, especially. It's like, oh, yeah, this child is is a genius so that they can keep up with the adult characters and stuff like that. Whereas this is almost the opposite way. Will's kind of the most mature one. He's a little bit mm-hmm. ahead of everybody else. So, um, Well, and that was yeah. one of the reasons why... That's one of the reasons why I fell in love with this movie. I was, I've been a fan of this movie since it first came out. I, I watched it when it, in it, on initial release. And, I was 80 um, years old. I, I'm, see, I'm 42. So I was in my in 2000. I was 21 at that time. Hmm, that's right. And so I, I, um, when I first saw it, it, it I, I actually, when you touch on, you, you talk, touch on comic book movies, I've, I was been a comic book fan since I was a little kid. The reason why I was a huge fan of that was because the writing didn't write down to you as a child. I learned more large um, 
big syllable, large vocabulary word from reading X Men than I ever did from going to school. Oh my god, and... does Stanley, Silver Age comic Stanley, mm-hmm. old school Fantastic Four especially, it is just so wordy. It's just exactly. all those little words in that, there, well, yeah. And- and and X Men comics telekinesis telepathy uh, teleportation like like you you all of these giant words then you're like well what does this mean and you start breaking it apart so they, they never talk down to the kids and I think that with this one of the things I loved about this movie was that it didn't it, it had the kids the young people in the movie talk mm-hmm. and act just like the adults while still being youth like it didn't let yeah. it didn't have them lose their youthful character but gave them the agency and the ability to be respected as full, real, and fully fleshed out characters. Yeah, I think A Stranger Things does that as well, where it's a real balancing act when you write kids where, you know, how much maturity are you going to give them without making them little adults? Mm Mm-hmm, yep. And I think that if you look at another example, there was a good example where the kid, they did it well with the kids, but not so good with the adults with the It movies. Yeah. The, oh, yeah, the It split. I think, I think that the first chapter did really good with making the kids have that adult agency, but the second chapter kind of failed and turned the adults kind of childlike. Ironically, yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, Penny says, honey, you're too sweet for rock and roll. And William does not like that. If I ever, if I ever meet, Patrick Fugit, or you know, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm going to say whatever I do, you know, we might have a great conversation here, but there's no way I'm you're going to get me to call you sweet. <laughs> I don't want you, mm. I don't want you going off on me here, <laughs> because I mean he really hates that. I am not sweet. It's all happening. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.